Good morning, brothers and sisters, regular visitors and guests. Welcome to church this morning, and also welcome to those of us who are watching this service via the live stream. We're thankful that we can be together to revere and worship God. Today we're celebrating Thanksgiving Day, and we're about to sing about the Lord who richly blesses his people. Thanksgiving Day is a time to reflect on all the blessings which our Heavenly Father has given to us. It's our prayer that we would all be comforted and encouraged through the preaching of the gospel and that God would be glorified by our worship this morning. Consistory has the following announcements. Consistory with Deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30 in the Consistory Room. And this morning we'll also celebrate the baptism of Caleb Liam Vermeulen. And this morning the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we start this worship service, let's sing together Psalm 34 verse 4. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. We begin our worship with the confession that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive God's greeting, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing a song of God to, to praise God. We're going to sing together from Psalm 96, the verses 1, 3, and 5.
which is saying to this God who's great and glorious, one of the special gifts that he's given us is the gift of his law. It's in his law he reveals his character to us and he teaches us how to live in relationship with him. Let's now submit ourselves to God's law. We'll do so as we find it next as 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now sing in response from Psalm 97, verses 1, 2, and 3.
Our brother and sister Vermeulen have requested baptism for their son, Caleb Liam. To that end, let's first read together the form for the baptism of infants. You can find that on page 597 of your book of praise, if you wish to follow along. Love a congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine of holy baptism is summarized as follows. First, we and our children are conceived and born in sin, and are therefore by nature children of wrath, so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls, so that we may, be, we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us that he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for his children and heirs and promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or to turn it to our benefit. When we're baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are, through baptism, called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust him and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes, through weakness, fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin. For baptism is a seal and a trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. Just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they, without their knowledge, received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and this also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Therefore, in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. The circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. 
Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the new dispensation, baptism has replaced circumcision. Therefore, infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament to God, to his glory, for our comfort, and for the upbuilding of the congregation, let's call upon his holy name. Almighty eternal God, in your righteous judgment, you punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood, but in your great mercy, saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his hosts in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you, in your infinite mercy, will graciously look upon this child and incorporate him by your Holy Spirit into your Son, Jesus Christ, so that he may be buried with him by baptism into death and raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that he, following him day by day, may joyfully bear his cross and may cleave to him in true faith, firm hope, and ardent love. Grant that he, comforted in you, may leave this life, which is no more than a constant death, and at the last day that he may appear without terror before the judgment seat of Christ, your Son. All this we ask through him, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. Can I now ask the parents to please rise? Beloved in Christ the Lord, You've heard that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose, you are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin, and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even to condemnation, are sanctified in Christ, and thus as members of his church ought to be baptized? And second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament, summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? And third, do you promise, as father and mother, to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as he is able to understand and to have him instructed therein to the utmost of your power? Brother Vermeulen, what's your answer? Sister Vermeulen, what's your answer? And brothers and sisters, following the baptism, you're invited to rise, and we're all going to sing together from Psalm 105, verse 3. Caleb, Liam, Vermeulen, I baptize you into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Let's give thanks to the Lord. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son and so adopted us to be your children. You sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern this child with your Holy Spirit, that Caleb may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness, and that he may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that he may thus acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy, which you have shown to him and to us all. May he live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king and high priest, Jesus Christ, and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. May he forever praise and magnify you and your son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one only true God. Now, Father, we're also blessed that we not only get to celebrate the, the sacrament of baptism, but we also get to open your word and hear the proclamation of the gospel. Thank you for the grace that you show us, and thank you for reminding us of your kindness towards us. This morning we get to, to celebrate all the good gifts that you have given to us. We pray that you give us open hearts, that we may understand how rich it is to be your children, and that we're able to see with the eyes of faith your glory and majesty and your good gifts towards us. Grant that we may be truly grateful for all the kindness that you show us. Please forgive us our sins, and please hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this morning we have the opportunity to reflect on the gifts that the Lord has given us and to express our gratitude to him for those gifts. It happens once every year that the churches decide to set aside a service to thank God for the riches of his gifts and to, to praise him for all the things he's done for us in this past year. And so today is that special day. So in connection with that, I'd like to read with you. Um, we're gonna, I get to preach today on Psalm 29. And I'd like to read with you in connection with that from 1 Kings chapter 18. So in Psalm 29, the Lord teaches us to recognize him as the, the giver of all good things. And it's a polemic against looking to false gods and trusting them to look after you. And that's exactly what happened in 1 Kings chapter 18. So we're going to read together 1 Kings 18, starting at verse 20, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. So you can find that on page 353 of your guest Bible. One Kings 18, starting at verse 20. So Elijah has just confronted Ahab with the, the sin that he's committed. And scripture says in verse 20, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left as a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
Let two bowls be given to us, and let them choose one bowl for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bowl, and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, and put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two shias of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. 
And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 76, the verses 1 and 4. text for the sermon this morning is taken from Psalm 29. I invite you to open your Bible and we're going to read it together. So Psalm 29, you can find that on page 544 of your guest Bible. A Psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. 
The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So far, then, after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing from the same psalm, from Psalm 29, verses 1, 2, and 3. Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus, standing in awe of the presence of God is an amazing experience. The Lord is awesome. He is majestic. And when you see him in all his glory, then it's awe-inspiring. We have a number of situations, stories in the Bible, where the Lord describes himself revealing himself to his people and the reaction of the people when they come into his presence. You see God's glory on top of Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19. There's fire and smoke. There's thick clouds and deep darkness. There's lightning and thunder. The mountain itself is shaking. And there's this very loud trumpet blast that keeps getting louder. You remember the story, the people were terrified. Or in Ezekiel 1, you have this massive windstorm that's coming towards the prophet. It's a huge cloud. There's brightness all around it, and there's fire in the midst of the cloud. Ezekiel tells us that there are majestic angels. There's a glorious throne. There's brilliant gems. There's this figure on the throne that's made of burnished bronze and fire. And there's this this brilliant light around him that's all the colors of the rainbow. Well, again, Ezekiel was flat on his face. Or in Revelation eleven nineteen, you get to see into the throne room of God. You see God in all his glory in the temple. Again, there's flashes of lightning. There's rumblings. There's peals of thunder. There's this massive earthquake. And there's heavy hail. The 24 elders, they fall on their faces and they worship the Lord. Whenever anyone comes into the presence of God, it is awe-inspiring. They stand in awe at the majesty of the living God. Well, in Psalm 29, the Lord again reveals his awesome majesty. David describes the presence of God as the Lord comes off the Mediterranean Sea, as he comes into the land, and the impact that he has when his presence comes into the land, in the forests, in the mountains, in the deserts. 
And he describes the reaction that the Lord seeks to solicit from his people. Everyone is blown away by the awesome majesty of God. They fall before him and they give him glory. Well, if you understand that this is the message, the meaning of, of Psalm 29, then you might wonder why I've chosen this text as a Thanksgiving passage. There's actually two core reasons that are going to become evident as we work our way through the text. I preach God's word to you this morning with this theme, give glory to the Lord whose powerful voice reveals his majesty. We're going to see in the first place the majesty of God's voice, and secondly, the call to give him glory. So what's the psalm all about? Well, David starts off in verse 1 by calling the angels to glorify God. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. David calls the angels. And he says, ascribe to him, give him the glory that he's due. Give him the majesty that he's due because of the splendor of his holiness. And what leads David to, to calling the angels to do this, and actually if you go to verse 9, you see that he calls everyone in God's temple to also glorify him. So he calls all the people to join the angels in glorifying God. What leads him to do this is that he sees God's majesty in this powerful thunderstorm. David hears the voice of the Lord. He sees the glory of God's majesty. And when you, when you read through this text, the phrase, the voice of the Lord, is used nine times. It rumbles, and it rumbles, and it rumbles through the text. It's almost as if God is giving this, this recurring rumbling sound that goes through the text to poetically describe what the people experience. It starts in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. He's over the waters. He's over the Mediterranean. At first, it's distant. He hears the distant rumbling. But then he says, the voice of the Lord, it grows powerful. It's majestic. It's more and more powerful as it comes near. And then at some point, this storm comes off the Mediterranean and it hits the land. And the fury of the storm is awesome. It wreaks havoc. When the storm blows through, it's not just that a, a few trees get blown over. Now David says here that the most majestic trees, the most powerful trees, the cedars of Lebanon, these are the, the giant tingle trees of the Middle East. Well, these trees, they snap in two. They get thrown to the earth because of the power of the presence of God. And then in verse 9, it builds off of that. It says, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. It could be that, that the animals are terrified with the presence of God and that this deer gives birth to her young. It could also be, some explainers have noticed that actually if you flip two of the Hebrew words, two of the Hebrew letters in one word, it's not about a deer giving birth to a young, but rather it's, a, it's an oak tree that's writhing 
because of the presence of the wind. But when God speaks, then the wind howls. The trees whip around. They're literally stripped of their leaves. The giants of the forest, they're snapped in two and they're thrown to the ground. And they realize this is not just an ordinary storm that's coming off the Mediterranean because when God hits the landfall, when he comes up against the mountains, there are actually two mountain ranges in Lebanon, when he comes up against these mountains, then the mountains of Lebanon and Syrian, it skips like a calf. Well, Syrian is the, the southernmost mountain in the second mountain range, the inland mountain range. In the Bible, it's often referred to also as Mount Hermon. When the Lord comes near this mountain, it's shaking. It's skipping about like a calf. Maybe you've seen that. A calf gets out into pasture. When he gets out into pasture, then he's running around and he's jumping around and he kicks up his hind legs. Well, that's the image that God gives for this mountain. The strong, steadfast, stable mountain is jumping around in the presence of the Lord. It might be a poetic way of describing a volcano. God's presence comes to this mountain, and the mountain erupts into a volcano. And then as God's glory goes forth, his voice flashes like flames of fire. The lightning is flashing, the thunder is crashing, the mountains are shaking, the trees are being whipped around, they're being broken in pieces. And then eventually he goes a little further inland, he gets to Kadesh. And there's a wilderness, Kadesh is in the wilderness, it's in around the wilderness. And we're told that when he comes to this place, that the whole land starts to shake. There's this powerful earthquake that shakes the land, the desert in Kadesh. We've seen in the last few weeks a little bit of the impact that earthquakes can have. And this is what now happens at the presence of the glory of God. When God speaks, when he appears, then the wind howls, the lightning flashes, the thunder crashes. There's this trail of destruction that goes through the forest. There's this volcano that erupts and the land, it ends up in an earthquake. It was truly awe-inspiring. It was extremely scary for anyone who's present. But what is David saying? He's saying, it is the Lord, and it is his presence that brings this about in his creation. And the reason he says this is as a polemic against the people around them. When the Israelites first came into Canaan, the, the ancient people who lived there, they also thought that thunder was the voice of a god, the storm god Baal. And so they worshipped Baal. And they thought that by worshipping him, that he would give his blessing to them. And so the natural thing of the people of Canaan is that they worshipped this Baal. It was, it was a bit of a frightening, scary experience because his thunderstorms were really destructive. But at the same time, they were so thankful when Baal spoke because he spoke and he thundered down and he sent down the rain. It would break the droughts of the summer and it would mean that there's fertility for another year. Baal was a god of fertility. He was the one who blessed the people with rain, with grain, 
with calves and herds, with people, with children. And so he is worshipped as the god of rain and fertility. They actually made, if you see an image of Baal, then he's this figure that has a lightning bolt in his hand. He sends down the lightning and he speaks in thunder. But when the Israelites came into the land of Canaan, they were confronted with this Baal worship. The Lord warned his people. He said, you need to wipe it out. You can't let these people and their false gods continue to live among you because they will turn your hearts away from me and you will worship these false gods. Well, the people, they never fully listened to the Lord. They wiped out some of the people in the land, but they allowed others to live. And so Judges 2 tells us the very next generation, the people started worshipping the gods of the lands. They started worshipping Baal. And that continued. By the time David comes, he, he writes this psalm in order to warn the people not to do this. Immediately after David, we're told that Solomon comes to the throne. Well, Solomon didn't listen to the Lord's instruction not to get married to many women. The Bible tells us 1 Kings 11, he got married to 700 women, and he loved these women. And one of the ways he expressed his love towards them is that he built on the east side of Jerusalem, on the hill on the east side of Jerusalem, he built all these places of worship for their gods. And he used to go along with them, and he used to worship their gods. And so he... He sanctioned the worship of Baal. And then we read the story this morning, 2 Kings 18. By the time that Ahab comes along, he's the great-great-grandson of Solomon, then Baal worship became the official state religion of Israel. Well, Elijah confronts Ahab. He confronts these priests of Baal. He calls them to a contest. And he says, you built an altar, and I'll build an altar. And you call upon your God, Baal, and I'll call upon the Lord God. And so they build this altar, and they call upon Baal. They cry out to him, and they yell, and they scream, and they cut themselves, and they do whatever they can to incite their God to answer them. And nothing happens. Very striking. They did not hear the voice of Baal. But then Elijah constructs the altar to the Lord and he calls upon the Lord and he prays to him that the Lord would be present. And the Lord answers and fire comes down from heaven and it consumes the, the offering and the wood and the altar and the rain and the water all around. And so the Lord shows the people that he is God, that Baal is nothing, His voice is powerful, it's majestic, it sends lightning. It's by his voice that the Lord sends blessing upon his people. Well, it's because he does this that he calls his people to worship him, to recognize him, to honor him, to adore him. In the first place, it's the heavenly beings who are called to ascribe glory and strength to the Lord. And later, it's all in his temple who are called to join with those heavenly beings and give God the glory. In the first place, the calling is to worship, literally to bow down, that you bow down in the presence of the Lord, that you give him honor for who he is and what he does. 
And then secondly, he calls his people to glorify him. And the word for glory, literally, it means to ascribe weight, to ascribe gravitas to someone or something. If you glorify a person, then you think a lot about that person. You have a lot of respect for them. If you really glorify someone, then this person is really great in your thinking. You're amazed at who they are and what they do. You know everything about them. You know, sometimes we do that with other people. You might have an author, a favorite author, a musician. You might have a favorite athlete or a favorite team that you watch. And you love them. And you follow everything that they do. You know everything about them. And you'll talk about them to anyone who you can. You'll let them know what you know about this person because, because they're so great. You want everyone to share your thoughts. Well, this is the calling that the Lord gives for his people. He calls us to glorify him, to stand in awe of him, to tell everybody about him, and to worship him. Well, it's a great act of kindness that the Lord reveals his majesty to us. He shows us the extent of his power and grandeur. He wants us to realize that he is the awesome God, that he's majestic on a throne, he's glorious in all that he does. And it's as we understand this, as we, we realize who he really is, that we humble ourselves before him, that we seek his face, that we give him the honor that he's due. The question is, will you do it? Will you worship him and honor him and give him the glory that his name is due? Do you understand the power of God? Do you understand his goodness in providing? He sends the rain because he wants to care for these people. He told the Israelites, he said, when you come into the land, right at the very beginning, Deuteronomy, he said, when you come into the land of Canaan, you have to realize it's not like Egypt. Egypt was the breadbasket of the ancient world, and the reason for that is because of the Nile. They took the water out of the Nile, and they were able to irrigate huge sections of land. And so they grew all this food. Well, the Lord says, when you come to, to the land of Canaan, it's very different. It's a land of hills and valleys. It's a land that's dependent upon rainfall. And God did it to teach his people to trust in him. You need to depend upon me. You need to look to me in faith. You need to honor me and glorify me. You need to live in humble dependence before me. Well, back then, the people did it for a time, but then they wandered away. They used to magnify the Lord. They saw his power in Egypt. They saw him when they crossed the Red Sea. They saw his glory destroying the enemies before them and coming into the promised land. But over time, they forgot about all that, and they went their own way. Well, what about... You and me, brothers and sisters. You hear about Baal worship and it, it seems quaint. It's so ancient. It's so dumb. But if you know, if you really think about it, is our society really that much different from the ancients? What the ancients did is they rejected God and they worshipped this God of their own making, this Baal. 
Were we really in a different place with our scientific or materialistic worldview? What causes lightning? You open your science text, lightning happens when these negative ions in the clouds and these positive ions in the ground, they come together. There's this great bolt of energy that connects them together. What causes thunder? It's when the lightning shoots through the sky. It heats up the air. The air expands powerfully, and it causes this booming sound. What causes earthquakes? Well, it's when two plates, huge plates in the earth, they move next to each other, and everything shakes, and everything quakes. What causes volcanoes? Well, it's when you have the magma that comes from deep in the earth's surface, and it comes near to the surface, and it builds all this pressure, and it erupts, and it blows, blows up into the air. Does our society recognize the hand of God in any of this? Do you ever read in your newspaper in the past two weeks when, when talking about the, the earthquake in Turkey, do you read about the hand of God in causing the land to shake? Our society has lost the eyes of faith. They don't hear the voice of the Lord. They've rejected the living God. And then underneath that is a more serious problem. They think that they can do life without the Lord, that they don't need God. We live in a society that's extremely proud. We live by ourselves and for ourselves. How do you get wealth? How do you get comfort? How do you get prosperity? It's not by trusting in the Lord. It's by working hard. It's by getting a good job. It's by setting up a successful business. It's by your investment properties. Or your smart investing in the share markets. Maybe you want to get into day trading. You can beat the markets. Or maybe people look to the government. They expect the government to give handouts for Centrelink or old age. Or they count on government officials to stabilize things in the economy, not too much inflation, not too high interest rates. And then they get really mad when things don't go the way that they expect. Well, how much hasn't it influenced our thinking as well, brothers and sisters? Do you live in humble dependence upon the Lord? Do you realize that everything you have and everything you are is a gift to your Father in heaven. Back in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, Moses encouraged the people. He said, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. Verse 17, Deuteronomy 8, 17, beware lest you say in your hearts, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. The Lord is the one who gives you the ability to get wealth. So don't become proud. Don't forget about him. It's really interesting here in Psalm 29 verse 5, it says that the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Well, if you look at what the scripture says elsewhere about Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon are one of the images that describes really proud people. Use one example, it's in Isaiah 2. The prophet warns there that since the land is filled with gold and idols, and since the people are so proud and haughty, like the cedars of Lebanon and the oaks of Bashan, the Lord is about to humble them. 
He's telling us, brothers and sisters, that he is the Lord. He's saying, you have to recognize me. You have to thank me. David uses the term the Lord, this psalm, over and over. In the first two verses, he uses it four times. In the last two verses, he uses it four more times. In total in the psalm, I think it's used 18 times. He is the Lord, the covenant faithful God who looks after his people. He is the one who extended promises to his people, and he's the one who fulfills those promises. He calls us to relationship with him. I've entered into this very special relationship, and I promise to be your God. I promise to look after you. I promise to give you everything that you need. And so I call you to trust me, to live in humble dependence before me. Along with it, the Lord also gives this warning. He warned the Israelites at the beginning of their history. He said, if you don't recognize me, if you don't acknowledge me, then in the end it will not go good for you. Deuteronomy 28, 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. If you don't serve God with joy and gratitude in the days of prosperity, God's saying, you're going to serve your enemies in poverty and devastation because you rejected me. But you know the opposite of self-sufficiency and pride? It's humble dependence and it's gratitude. It says, I want you to humbly depend upon me, to seek my face, to worship me. I want you to treat me with weight, to trust me, to depend upon me. It shows how much we need a savior, brothers and sisters. We need someone to help us, someone to work it out for us. Our Lord Jesus came, that was the calling card, that was the hallmark of his ministry. He was someone who lived in humble dependence upon his father. He's someone who sought the glory of his Father in heaven. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I do not seek my own glory, but the glory of him who sent me. Throughout the course of his ministry, he depended upon his Father. He sought his Father. He often went off to be with his Father, to spend time in prayer up on a lonely mountainside or off by himself somewhere else. And he did that because... He knew it's the only way for him to do his ministry and because he needed to do that on our behalf. It was a great act of kindness. He did it for us, brothers and sisters. The Lord covers our sins with his righteousness. He is our savior and he promises to help us to rightly order our lives. It's really a beautiful thing if you look to Christ in faith and if you ask him for help, One of the first things he does is he gives you eyes to see. You can see God. You can understand his work in your life. You can recognize what he's doing. You can humble yourself before him. You can hear the voice of the Lord. And then you'll want to worship him. You'll want to glorify him. 
Now, if you want to, to do it today, brothers and sisters, maybe one of the things, really good thing for you to do today is, is to, to think back about everything that God has done for you this past year and to reflect on, on how he's worked it out in your life, how he's given you the blessings that you have today. You can do it when you get paid. You can do it when you fill in your taxes. They're beautiful times to sit back and to reflect upon the faithfulness of the Lord in caring for you and looking after you in every way. You know, that's what the Israelites did. They had a Thanksgiving day. They had a special day in their year that was their Thanksgiving. And we know that this psalm was really important to them because it was about 750 years after David wrote this psalm that it was translated into Greek. They took the whole Old Testament, they translated it from Hebrew into Greek. That was the common language of the day. It was called the Septuagint. Well, when they translated this psalm into Greek, then they put a little heading. It was a psalm of David um, for the Feast of Booths. They had this festival in their year. It was the last, it was the greatest festival of the year where they would gather in the remaining part of the harvest. So earlier in the year they gathered, it was the, the barley, and then later in the year they gathered, I think it was the, the grapes and a bunch of other things. And it was after they finished gathering the last of the harvest that they would celebrate this Feast of Booths. And this was just one great big party. It was very different than the earlier feasts. The earlier feasts were often focused on sin. They were much more solemn because their sins had to be atoned for. But this was a feast that celebrated the goodness of God to them. It was eight days long, started and ended on the Sabbath day. And on the final Sabbath day, in the Jewish tradition, they sing Psalm 29. Everybody joins together. And they sing this psalm because they want to praise God. Because they understand it is the voice of the Lord that has blessed them this past year. It is the living God who has acted in grace and mercy towards them, who has given them everything that they have. And so they join their voices together and they praise the living God for the richness of his goodness towards them. It is, as it says in the last verse of the psalm, it is the Lord who gives strength to his people and it is the Lord who blesses his people with peace. Well, today is our Thanksgiving Day. In a minute, we're going to sing Psalm 29. We're going to praise God as an acknowledgement that we understand that everything we are and everything we have is a gift of his grace. We're going to honor him. And our voices are going to join with the angels. And we're going to glorify the Lord for his kindness towards us. That's something I'd encourage you to do as you go on from here, brothers and sisters. This afternoon when you sit down with your family and friends, have a coffee. This evening when you get together with some friends, then talk together about the great things that the Lord has done for you this past year. Reflect on his kindness, on his gifts, and glorify him. Give him the honor. Give him the glory for everything that he's done for you. And maybe you, you wish to acknowledge that to some of the people that he's used to reach into your life. If he's blessed you through a parent or through a friend or through a boss or through somebody else, maybe you want to write a card and thank them. Maybe you want to call up one of your old friends or reflect with them and thank them for the way that God has blessed you through them. 
It's an incredibly powerful thing. When you reflect together on the gifts of God, and when you give him glory for who he is and what he does. And you know, it's good preparation. Because someday soon, the Lord is going to call you home. And you're going to come into his presence. You're going to stand before him. And you're going to see that this is exactly what's happening for all who are in his presence. The angels, they praise him and they glorify him and they thank him because he's such a great God, because he's done so many kind things for all his people. And the people, they join their voices together. And your voice is invited to join together with theirs. It is in Revelation 14, verse 12, that we're told of, of God's people coming into the presence of the Lord. And God says there that your heart is going to fill with thanksgiving. You're going to join with the angels and the 24 elders and the rest of God's people and even all creation in praising and glorifying God. You're going to fall on your face. And you're going to sing the song, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be to our honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's sing that song. Let's sing together Psalm 29, 1, 2, 3.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this morning, we'll also remember a few other members of our congregation. Our sister Sandra Dingle heard the news that her sister-in-law, that's Sister Trudy Sloab from Albany, she passed away. It was rather unexpected. She had stage four cancer and because of some complications, she passed away this past week Thursday. So we'll pray that God would comfort her sister, her husband, their family, also uh, Martin and Christy as well, and their family and the others who are related to her. Then we'll also bring our brother Wayne Visser before the Lord. Our brother is um, booked to have some surgery on his back this coming week, and so we'll pray for God's blessing over that, that that may indeed go well for him. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you and we glorify and magnify your name. You are the king who's seated upon the throne. You are wrapped in, in majesty. You are glorious. You're awesome. When you speak, then the earth shakes. Then the, the wind blows. The trees of the forest, they they blow around, they're stripped of their leaves, they're, they're blown and broken in two. When you speak, Lord, then, then volcanoes erupt, then the earth quakes, then all of creation shakes in your presence. Father, when you speak, then the lightning goes forth and the thunder sounds. We've had some of those experiences in our lives, Lord. We've, we've seen the effect of your voice speaking, and it's been awe-inspiring at different times. Now, Lord, we, we recognize, we acknowledge that this is your work, that you are the living God who's seated on the throne in heaven, that you act in creation. And we thank you, Lord, that, that your acts are signs of your majesty and glory, that we may humble ourselves before you, that we may seek your face. We pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts a great faith, that we believe in you, that we trust in you, that we expect our help from you alone that we rest under your blessing. Father, we confess that so often we go astray, that many times we trust in ourselves, we rely in, in other people, and we look to other things in order to secure blessing for ourselves. Please forgive us our sins. Please cover it with the blood of our Lord Jesus, and please sanctify us with your Holy Spirit. Your Father in heaven, we do thank you for the many times and the many ways in which we do recognize and acknowledge you as our God, that we realize that you are the Lord, the covenant God, who's in a special relationship with us, and that we trust you to look after us. Thank you for the, for the many ways in which you take very good care of us. Thank you, Father, that day after day that you send sun and rain. We're the time of the year we get a lot of sun. We're so grateful to you for that. And every year again it happens, the seasons change, and that you send the rains, that there's rain on the land. And we wish to thank you for that. We read in the scriptures, Lord, there was a time in the days of Elijah where he prayed, and for three years it did not rain. And it's only when he prayed again that you opened the heavens and you poured down rain. You showed that you are God, and that rain comes from you, and that we are dependent upon you. Father, despite the, the many people who reject you, we want to thank you for your great kindness and continue to send sun and rain to allow the crops to grow, to allow there to be food, to allow all the, the work that needs to be done for us to, to buy food at the grocery store and to have dinner and to have all the meals that we need. Thank you for your kindnesses towards us. Thank you, Lord, also for the gift of work. 
past couple of years, we've had a bunch of situations where, where different people didn't know how things were going to turn out. And in the meantime, Father, you're a God who gives work to us. And we thank you for that. We honor you for it. There's a few members of our congregation who are struggling with employment. We pray that in due time that you also give them work as well. Dear Father in heaven, please continue to let us do our work faithfully. Please grant that as we do so, that we may receive your blessing and we're able to provide for our families. Thank you also, Lord, for the gifts of health and strength that you give us. So many ways, so many times in which we, we feel well and we are blessed. We wish to acknowledge this as a good gift out of your hand. We acknowledge at the same time, Lord, that we are utterly dependent upon you for continued health. To this end, we pray for our brother Visser. We want to ask that our brother Wayne could receive an operation this week. We pray, Lord, that you would be with the doctors, that they have steady hands, that they're able to do what they need to do, that this may be a blessing for our brother. Please grant that he can receive relief from the pain and that, that he can recover and that things may go well for him. Please give him patience and faith in you. Father, we also pray that you would please be with the other members of our congregation who are currently under doctor's care. We remember especially our brother John Jensen. I want to ask, Father, that you would please sustain our brother. As he continues on, he, our brother continues to lose weight. He's not able to eat much anymore. Part of the reality for him is that the time will come in the foreseeable future that you take him home one day. Your Father, please comfort him around that. Thank you that, you that you give him trust in you and your promises. And thank you that he looks forward to a glorious future together with you. And we pray, Father, that you would please be near to him, that you grant him a rich measure of the peace of Christ, that you sustain his health in the meantime, and that you, you enable him to continue to glorify you for all the good gifts that you give to him. Please comfort his wife and their family and their children as well, and grant them a sense of your nearness. Father, we also pray for the others in our church who struggle with health concerns. Thank you so much that you are a God and that you can help us. There's some people for whom these, these health situations are long-term and it's a difficult matter. We ask that you provide comfort and you provide your peace. Please, please be near to, to them and to their carers and please grant that it may go well for them. Father, we also wish to thank you for the other gifts that you give us. Thank you that, that you provide us with homes, that we have vehicles, that we have education for our children. Thank you for the society we live in, for all the amenities of our culture. Thank you so much, Lord, for, for the gifts that you give us and peace and safety, that there's no warfare and we're not worried about that. Thank you also for the spiritual blessings that you give us in Christ, that you give us faith and hope and love, that you give us peace with you and justification, that you give us contentment, that you give us sanctification, that you draw us near to you. Father, thank you that these are, this is your joy. These are the good gifts that you delight to give us in Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that we don't deserve any of these things, but we look to Christ as our Savior and we depend upon him. We ask that for his sake that you continue to bless us. Father in heaven, we also pray that you be near to us as we look forward to the future. You've promised us a glorious future where we will be with you, where we'll be comforted. We ask, Lord, that you, that you help us to do this, that we, that we seek your face and that we trust that in due time that you're going to return on the clouds of heaven. In the meantime, Lord, you've taken home to yourself some of our loved ones, especially this morning of our brother and sister Wayne and Sandra Dingle and of their family, Martin and Christy and, and the rest of the extended family. Father, please comfort them after the death of, of sister Trudy Slope. 
We ask that you would please be near to them, that you remind them of the promises of the resurrection, that you would be a father to them, especially for Trudy's husband, Ron. Please give him your peace and your comfort during this time. Lord, we thank you for the, for the hope that we have for a glorious future. And we can't wait to see you in all your majesty upon your throne, that we join with the angels in worshiping you. We pray, Father, that you would preserve us to that end. Please also look after our missionaries, Lord. We're so thankful that we can share the hope of the gospel with others. I want to pray that you would be near to them. Please keep them safe, especially, Lord, and grant that they may do their work faithfully. Also pray that you would be near to, to many others, so many people in this world who struggle and who suffer, who have difficult, difficult lives. Think, Lord, of the, of the people in Turkey and Syria who are affected by this earthquake. We ask that you would please hear your people when they call upon you. We pray, Lord, that, that in this judgment, that you would also work in the hearts of many people, that they may repent of their sin and look to your face. We also have the opportunity now, Lord, to have a collection. We wish to collect for the people who are affected by the war in Ukraine. I want to ask, Lord, that you would please be near to these people. Pray that you would comfort and, and protect them. Whenever people are involved in warfare, it's, it's a terrible thing. Also the soldiers from Russia and, and the Ukrainian soldiers are engaged in this conflict where, where many people are losing their lives. Many times they, they struggle intensely because of, because of the things that they do. Father, we pray that you would rescue your people in, in these circumstances, that you, that you would help those who call upon you, and that you would please help us to understand the, the horror of sin and how much we need your help in our lives. Please grant that the collection that we have today may also be a help and a blessing for those who suffer. Please hear us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you now indeed have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord. The collection this morning is a special collection for the Evangelical Reform Seminary of the Ukraine. Now, you may remember some time ago when this conflict first started that we had a collection for this, um, this seminary. This is, there's a number of our sister churches who are involved in supporting the work that's being done there. I believe that our Reverend Anderson from, from Rockingham, he also has gone there on occasion to, to do some teaching there. And so we're going to send them the money that they're able to, to share that with those whom they know who are in need in this circumstance. Then after the collection, we're going to sing a, a hymn of thanksgiving, hymn 65, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
receive God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.